In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dearly beloved in Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in the hearts of the sons of men, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. The Holy Spirit inspired King Solomon, the son of David, to write these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The book is called Ecclesiastes because in it Solomon calls himself the preacher. It's right before these words that we have all heard, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, and so forth. The general theme of Ecclesiastes is summarized in many places throughout the book. Vanity. Everything is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Everything is meaningless and empty and vapor. Beautiful in its time, sure, but vanity altogether. It doesn't sound very uplifting, does it? But why are our hearts often tempted to think this way? It is because God has put eternity into our hearts. Our Creator who formed our hearts has written into our hearts an innate awareness that we are meant to be part of something more. Like babies in the womb, who move their fingers but have nothing to grab, who kick their feet but have nowhere to stand, who have ears but all is muffled, eyes but all is dim, mouth and tongue with no function, nothing to say, nothing to eat, no need. They are meant for more. We do not remember knowing this, but we surely did. Even while still preparing for this world, we have known that we were meant for more. And so it is still. God has since then revealed to us everything beautiful in its time, but there remains a longing in the heart of man. Man knows he was made to be part of eternity, but all he finds is change and decay. We die and another takes our place. We consume and consume with no way to stall for as long as we'd like the ever-returning urge to consume some more. Vanity. As the same Solomon writes in Proverbs, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. All things beautiful in their time simply won't cut it. We have eternity in our hearts, By this, Solomon speaks of a natural knowledge of God, a natural awareness that God created man special and holds man accountable. We know we're supposed to know him, except no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. But we don't need to find out. We need to listen. God tells us. It is self-evident by all we see that God created all we see. It is self-evident in every conscience that God will judge in the end. But what is self-evident will not tell us what work God does from beginning to end. What is self-evident will only tell us that everything God begins, he brings to an end. Vanity. What is self-evident won't tell us who God is, 
and what he thinks of us. We need to listen. We need what God tells us about himself. We need what is not self-evident. We need what is true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the God we need to know. We need to know the God who spoke everything into existence. By his word, all things were made that were made, and without his word, nothing was made that was made. The word of God is God himself. He is the Son of God, who is with God. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his Father. He is the brightness of God. He is God of God and light of light and upholds everything by the word of his power, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. Today we celebrate how all is not vanity by celebrating what is not self-evident, but it is by God's grace evident because God has shown us. The word became flesh, not because empty hearts longed for him, the word became flesh because God desired in his heart from eternity to save all men from what they vainly try to fill their hearts with instead. God's becoming flesh is not self-evident, not discoverable by sight or reason. But as words are to be listened to, Christ has revealed his glory as the only begotten of the Father to those who listen. We celebrate what is revealed. God became true man to rescue us from vanity and sorrow and despair. All is not empty. He whom the world cannot contain causes himself to be contained. The eternal Son of God becomes a Son of Man like us, in whose heart eternity is placed. He himself, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, declares the work of God from beginning to end. God became man in order to purge our sin in his own body, as the Apostle says in Hebrews. That is to say, he came to atone for all our sins, to suffer God's wrath against our sins, to die for all men and to rise again. He ascended into the heavens as our brother, at the right hand of his Father, so that as true man, God reigns over all things, our own flesh and blood, this is the mystery of godliness, as St. Paul calls it. It is a great mystery. It cannot be found out. It can only be heard and believed. Jesus' birth brings an end to the endless cycle of time. He brings an end to vanity and gives true meaning to all the good that we enjoy on earth by teaching us what God, who made us, thinks of us. Jesus teaches us to know his Father. He teaches us to trust him as our God. He teaches us that our sins are forgiven. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that is, to purchase us from the sentence of death. And to what end? For what? So that we might receive the adoption as sons. We were born God's enemies. God was born to be our friend. If our blessed Lord and Maker hated men, would he then be a flesh partaker? If he in our woe delighted, would he bear 
all the care of our race benighted? Christ came to shed his blood and make us free. Vanity, vanity, cries the preacher, but not today. Today we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, our brother. This promise was first made to Adam and Eve. While cursing the serpent who deceived Eve and whose lie captivated Adam's heart, God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the devil's head. You know that Eve was not her original name. Her name was woman because she was taken from man. Adam named her. Oh, it was a great honor, of course. Man was made the glory of God. It was an honor to be made from Adam. They were made male and female in the image of God together to know their God and delight in his goodness and to talk with him. But after he had sinned and after God had promised to become their savior, Adam renamed his wife. It was a confession. No longer would his wife's honor be found in having been taken from man's body. Her honor would be found in what would come from her own body. He named her Eve, which means life, a beautiful name, because she was the mother of all living. By mother of all living, Adam surely had in mind the great kindness of God in still permitting them to have children. By doing so, God shows that he wants to rescue our children from vanity. But more than just this, Adam and Eve believed the promise of the woman's seed. They believed that God would become true man to conquer the devil who lied and deceived them. And proof of this, that they believed this, is that when Adam and Eve had their first child together, Eve was overjoyed. She named her son Cain, which means gotten or acquired, saying, I have gotten a man, the Lord. She thought that she had given birth to the Savior. She thought it was Christmas. She thought her son was the Lord God himself who used to walk with them in the cool of the day. She thought that the curse was now over. But she was wrong. When her second son was born right afterwards, she knew that she had been mistaken, that she had not given birth to God after all. She had given birth to a couple of sinners, and she'd have to wait a while longer before God became man. So she named her second son Abel. Abel is, in Hebrew, an onomatopoeia, that is, when the word sounds like the thing it means, Havel. It is a breath, a sigh of disappointment. It is, it is the word that is used in the Old Testament for vanity. She named her son what the preacher of Ecclesiastes says so often, vanity. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. So we often feel, and we shouldn't. We should acknowledge our sin, and we should admit to what is in fact vanity, but we should not believe that all is vanity. Trusting in what we can do to find out God and 
rise to him is vanity. Trusting in what we can do to pile up dust is vanity. Treasuring the work of our hands above the promises of God, hearing it and singing it is vanity. Supposing that getting people to respect us is some suitable replacement for knowing how God will judge our hearts, oh, that is a great vanity. As though if we can hide from words that condemn us, we can hide from God who made us. No, it is vanity. Adam and Eve hid from the voice of God. God called them forth, afraid and ashamed and naked before them. What did God want? Before he cursed either one of them, he cursed the devil. He made a promise. He promised to become a man in order to suffer for them. And as a sign of his suffering and of what his suffering would gain for them, he covered them in animal skins. God calls us forth. He asks us where we've been and what we've done. He condemns our pride, our lust, our laziness, our greed, our seeking after vain glory and good days. He confronts us with our sin in order to cover us in his own blood-bought obedience. He does not want to reduce you to dust. He wants to clothe you in mercy. Oh, bless Eve's heart. She believed the gospel promise. She had staked so much upon it. All her joy and endurance to bear the curse of that first painful birth depended on her expectation that her first son was also God and would put an end to it. And the reason she figured that her firstborn might be her savior was because she was a bit unclear on what contributions she and her husband might make to bring this about. We see that synergism, our working with God, necessarily leads to misunderstanding about the person of Christ. Eve was not a virgin. The son born to her was the natural fruit of marriage. She should have known. The seed of the woman is not the seed that man gives her. The seed of the woman is the Son of God who becomes true man in the womb of the virgin with no help from man at all. He neither needs nor accepts any contribution from man. He excludes what we do by forgiving what we do, and he does it all. Man at his best state is altogether vanity. God excludes vanity to fill eternity. Adam named his wife to confess a sure hope, but Mary became the true Eve, the true mother of all. For in her womb, God made himself our brother. He became the second Adam, the true man who reveals the true image of God by teaching us again to trust in him who made us, to walk with him, and to listen to him talk to us, and even to pray to him for everything we need. We have eternity in our hearts, and only he can fill it. Only he who both reveals and accomplishes all the work that God does from beginning to end. He fills us with all we need to satisfy eternity by filling us with the peace of sins forgiven. And so we must remember, just as the word was made flesh in the womb of a virgin, 
by the power and planning and promise of God alone, when the Holy Spirit came upon her. So also you received the peace that God promises, not by some bit of cooperation, not by anything you help figure out, not by some discipline or some decision you make, but when the Holy Spirit calls you by the gospel. As many as received Christ, to them God gives the right to become children of God. To us who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that is why we do not name our children vanity, after disappointed expectations. No, we baptize them. We bring them to the new birth of water and the Spirit, by which God puts his own name on them. And we teach them to listen to God who saves them. We express the same hope that Adam and Eve had, who trusted in the first promise God made that he would join the family of man. He joins ours through the promise he fulfilled. It remains a promise to us and to our children. Oh, it can be discouraging. We toil in vain. We save, we lose. We have expectations in life. And then everything changes. We discover what we knew all along that our children are sinners and that we have even less control over what they do than we do over our own fleshly desires against which we must also daily contend. Our children are born in our likeness and we are born in Adam's. Sometimes everything does seem vain. Good memories sometimes hurt more than they bring a smile. And our future trials are all unknown. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A proverbial truth that we can't argue with, but it is a small comfort unless we know God's purpose, God's plan, and the peace which God's Son gives to us, unless the purposes of heaven are made quite plain to us here on earth. And for this he was born. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, said Solomon, David's son. Let this express repentance. Let this express your resolve not to trust in what your eyes see and in what human wisdom might find out. But may it not be the theme of our lives. For Christ is born. God's son is given to us. David's greater and longed-for heir, our Savior King, who rules our heart and conscience with the forgiveness which he has bought with his own blood. He who fills all things continues to come to us. We have gotten a man, the Lord, Emmanuel. God is with us. He is our King of righteousness, our Prince of peace. He joins us to his holy birth. He feeds us with his own crucified and resurrected body and blood, that even now reigns and intercedes for us in heaven. Our sense that we are meant for more is not some indefinable intuition like babies in the womb or sages groping in darkness for more, more, more. No, it is a promise. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things. So hither come, 
ye poor and wretched, know his will is to fill every hand outstretched. Here are riches without measure. Here forget all regret. Fill your hearts with treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.